Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. So we're going to go over and we're going to turn to the book of Acts. I only have 13 pages. I'm just kidding. I only have two and a half. And that's still a lot for me. All right. How are y'all doing? Y'all good? You guys having some good day today, hopefully? Good week. I like it. All right. So this is our midweek group. So we're going we're gonna to teach tonight. And we're going to dive into some scriptures. But Pastor Mark has said this many times. And Miles Monroe was the one who originally said it. But I like to say Pastor Mark says it all the time. But it starts off by saying, when purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. That when the purpose of a thing is not clearly defined, then this liberty will show up where we will start defining what it was meant to be. And we see all through scripture that God was a God of order. He still is a God of order. And he has a lot of things that are defined by his creation. But obviously, if you look around us, there's a lot of redefining that's trying to happen. But We're not going to get into that this evening, but we are going to look at some clear definitions that God ordained. And so in Acts chapter 6, we're going to start off looking at a man named Stephen. And so Acts chapter 6, verse number 8. And this is obviously after the seven were chosen to serve. And it starts off here in verse number eight. It says, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And so he was full of faith and what? Okay, let's let's set the tone for tonight. Like I said, I teach younger people. A lot of your younger people, they are very loud people. They communicate back. So he was full of faith and what? Thank you. This is, a, this is going to be some work together, okay? We're going to get through this. So faith and power, and he did great wonders, signs among the people. Well, we are actually going to look at a different person, but I wanted to start here with Stephen, because Stephen leads us into who we're going to be diving deep into tonight, which is Paul. And when the Lord started kind of showing me, when Pastor Mark said, hey, I want you to minister for me while I'm down there at Kingdom Rise, I said, oh, awesome. I said, is there anything you got? He goes, whatever the Holy Spirit gives you. And I said, okay, got it. So I've been really studying out, just trying to say, well, Holy Spirit, what do you have? And so Paul got dropped on my heart, but it's going to lead us somewhere for where we're going this next month. Obviously, you guys know we just had Pastor Roddy Schaefer with us talking about the outreach we're going to be having that he said it's no longer time to just come in and get filled in. We need to be mobilizing. We need to start getting out. And so for so long in our church, we've had a season where we have been getting fed in the house because we weren't ready to mobilize yet. But we can see there's a shift coming, that it is time to now we start going out. We're going deeper. He said we're going into the deep. And going into the deep makes you feel uncomfortable. Who's ever gone swimming in the ocean before? So when we were living in St. Augustine, as a teenage, younger, single guy, we made some dumb choices, and we decided to go night swimming on the ocean. We, I don't know, we were dumb. We were very dumb. 
we were dumb. We were very dumb. We went night swimming. So we go out in the ocean about midnight, me and a bunch of these guys, and we think, how deep can we go? So we get out there, and you can see the lights on the shore, and we're diving down, and you had to prove you touched bottom by bringing up a handful of sand. So you're diving, and it's dark. You can't see anything. But you dive down, grab a handful of sand, come up, drop it. All right, let's go out a little further. Try to do it again. Until you reach a point where you don't hit bottom. And then you swim up to the top, and then you realize, oh, I'm really deep. I'm really deep. And then you start kind of wondering, like, oh, there's stuff that could eat me out here. And then your head starts going in these scenarios like, it's touching my foot right now, and it's time to go. And then you realize that going into the deep causes you to get in your, out of your comfort zone. And so what we're going to be doing today is looking at our comfort zones. And so with Paul, you're probably like, well, how is he going to get there? You're going to see. You're going to see. Because when I read this scripture, it, it shook me. And it challenged some of my thinking. And one of the things that Pastor Roddy said was if you're uncomfortable to go out into the deep, to go share the gospel with somebody else, you might have a little too much religion in you. And that one right there, I was like, ooh. Because I've always said, man, I'm thankful for the gift of the evangelist because those guys are wild. Pastor Chris, he is a awesome, phenomenal guy. But he will do some stuff that I look back and go, ooh, I don't know if I'd do that. But when you realize the heart motive behind what he's doing and why he's doing it, it makes a whole lot of sense. So Stephen, we start off this conversation because I want to paint a picture for you. Stephen was a man full of faith and power, did great wonders, signs among the people. Then we jump down and we look here in Acts chapter 7. So at the end of chapter 6, Verse 15. Well, let's go up here. Verse 10. 6 verse 10. It says, And they were not able to resist the wisdom and spirit by which he spoke. So they secretly introduced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they were stirring up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seizing him, and brought him to the council. So the words that Stephen was preaching right here challenged the people, and they didn't like it. So they started bringing false witness against him, got him arrested, and they bring him before the council. But here's what I love in verse number 15 of chapter 6. And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him, and they saw his face to be a face of an angel. There was something about Stephen that they could not ignore. And we know that Stephen was a man full of faith and what? Power. So then we go to Acts chapter 7. And Acts chapter 7, if you go through, we're not going to have time to read all of it. But if you go through, it accounts his preaching to them pretty much. They go through and they talk about how he spoke against Moses and he spoke against God and he spoke against the law and he starts going back through. And I read the whole thing again today just to go back over it. And it's amazing to see that he's literally just portraying a whole message about the Mosaic law 
Moses going through Egypt and how he saved them and Israelites turning from God and not receiving the gift that God gave them and all these different things. And he's literally just preaching to the whole council, giving them the whole narrative. But in verse number 54, the story changes here. It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. You see, over in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it talks about how the word of God is like a double-edged sword. It is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between the soul and spirit, bone and marrow. and It'll even divide between the intentions of somebody's heart. That he spoke the word and they could not ignore that he spoke the truth. That it says that it cut them to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopping their ears, and they ran at him at one, in one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen. And as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, they knelt down and cried out with a loud voice. Then he said, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Verse number one of chapter eight says, now Saul was consenting of his death. So we see a young man named Saul who is overseeing the persecution and the death of this man of God, this disciple that was proclaiming the good news about Jesus. And we see the one who's narrating this and seeing it is Saul. And then it says here, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, and except for the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and made great lamentations over him. Verse number three says, as for Saul, he made havoc over the church, entering houses and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. But it doesn't stop there. If you look at verse number four of chapter eight, it says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. You see, the enemy had a plan in place that Saul was going to persecute the church. It was going to destroy the works that God was doing on this earth. And God in the midst of all of it was still advancing his kingdom. In the kingdom, it says the kingdom suffered violence, but the violent take it by force. It's not your everyday, well, if I'm walking with God, everything should be going gloriously and I'm not gonna have a problem in the world. I'm sorry, that's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus came to tell you. Prepare yourself. There is a real threat that's coming against the world that we live in, but there's a real kingdom that we are a part of that can withstand anything. So now we see that this young man, Saul, is literally persecuting the church, going in, and he's destroying households, going in, taking men, women, putting them in prison, all for them speaking the name of Jesus. But then we go over, and we're going to look at Verse number, actually, we're going to go to chapter 9. Let's go over one more chapter. I told you, we're going to go on a journey. 
If you haven't read the entire book of Acts here lately, I highly encourage you to go do so. It's amazing to see every aspect of the disciples and the apostles and everything that was going on. But in chapter 9 is this encounter that Saul has with Jesus. So verse number 1 starts off this way, and it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked for letters for him to the synagogues of Damascus. What he was asking for was authority to go do what he was doing in Jerusalem and Damascus. He said, I want to have the authority to go arrest these people that are speaking the name of Jesus. So he's asking for that authority to now go to Damascus and do the same thing. So he gets to Damascus. So he says he asked for the synagogues of Damascus so that he found any who were in the way, which was the Christian faith, whether men or women, he would bring them bound to Jerusalem. For as he was journeying, he came near Damascus. Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? We aren't having audible voices from God as much these days. I'll be honest, I've really not heard the audible voice of God because when Jesus came to die on the cross, whenever he was risen, he put inside of us this inward witness, which is the Holy Spirit that he could be our advocate to speak on behalf of God to every believer on this earth. Saul, though, has this encounter where God speaks to him audibly. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? Just by the sheer voice, he recognized that whoever this is speaking to me, I better listen up. We also know that Lord denounced ownership. That Lord is not, we never got born again to be saved just from sin. We got born again to now have lordship with Jesus that you now own me. Not in a slave master mentality, but now a citizen of a kingdom, which means that in his kingdom, we're heirs. We're royalty. We're part of his family. That it's an adoption process that as long as you submit to the way of the kingdom, you now have all access to everything the king offers. And so Saul now is being faced with this decision. He says, who are you, Lord? Then he answered him and he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Then he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm telling you right now, that's probably the best thing he could ever ask. Best thing he could ever ask. Lord, what do you want me to do? So he tells him, then the Lord said to him, arise and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. When Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. But verse 10 is where I want to focus for just a minute. So this is a man named Ananias. It says here in verse number 10, Now there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. He said, So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, 
he is praying, and in his vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and put his hand on him that he might receive his sight. But Ananias answers just like what most of us would. And he says, Lord, I have heard, of, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints and in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And I started, I love to try to not put myself into those positions, but I, I can see the human aspect of this. That God is going to him now and this man has been obviously hearing the voice of God. He's been obeying. He's been following because God chose him. But he's listening, and now he's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've heard all about this guy. I've heard about what he's done to our friends. I've heard about what he did to Stephen. I know his history. Are you sure, God? Like, I, are you sure? But how God responded, it, it left me speechless. Because we have Saul, who's still up until this point, his whole goal was going to find as many people that were obeying Jesus, preaching the gospel, to try to imprison them and kill them so they would stop sharing the good news. But Jesus speaks here. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, children of Israel. For I will show him how many things we must suffer in my name. He said there, he said, he is a chosen vessel of mine. Think about that for just a second. So many times we want to read the book by just the cover. But honestly, when it all comes down to it, only God knows what he's placed on the inside. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter how you've lived your life until the point you met Jesus. It doesn't matter. Because on the very beginning, God had a purpose for Saul. Saul was very educated. And we're going to see his rap sheet here in just a minute. But he knew about God. He was actually, he says, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. About the letter of the law, I obeyed it almost to perfection. That he was following after a religion, but he missed the heart of the kingdom. He missed the God. And so he had already been chosen from the very beginning. And he says, he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. So then it goes on and it talks about how Ananias goes to him. And he lays his hand on him and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has also come. And he sent me to you to receive your sight and to be filled with the what? Holy Spirit. Because you see, in Matthew, when Jesus got baptized in water by John. It said that the Holy Spirit came upon him almost like a dove. And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus had to have the Holy Spirit. Paul had to have the Holy Spirit. So we read on that it says that 
when he had received food, uh, let's see, verse number 18, immediately he uh, fell from his eyes, something like scales, and he received sight at once and arose and was baptized. Then when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent many days with the disciples in Damascus. So Saul starts his journey right here. That now he's learning a whole new thing. And I'll be honest, it's in these moments that when you are presented the truth, you have a pathway you have to choose. Will I either accept it and get the revelation of it, or will I deny it and choose to never live it? Saul could have been like, listen, I have so many years. I built up such credentials with the religious, the Pharisees and Sadducees. I'm not leaving. But he had an encounter with Jesus that was so strong, he, was, he abandoned everything else he ever knew. I mean, this happened to us in 2009 in St. Augustine, is that when Pastor Earl brought the kingdom message and he had months of unseen principles and just training on that in my circle, we've always had that word of faith circle, that we were always going and hugging trees, that we would hug the tree of healing or we would hug the tree of faith and we were always constantly going. But when the kingdom of God showed up, we realized it was the forest, that the kingdom of God has all of that enclosed in it. And it was challenging. When somebody first told me that, did you know that Jesus never preached be born again? I was like, what? No, that's what we've always heard. We've always been told that you have to be born again and ask Jesus into your heart so one day you'll go to heaven. And when the, the realization and the revelation came that Jesus came to preach a kingdom, the very first message he ever preached was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew four seventeen. It challenged our thinking, but when we finally saw it in scripture, there was no denying that it was the truth. And Pastor Mark does this all the time and does a phenomenal job with his teaching that we're not here to just tell you what the scriptures are. We want you to go and actually be like the Bereans that go and they studied out the scriptures themselves. They went through and they went scripture after scripture to find what was really true. And you got to think back then, that wasn't as easy as going on to your little version Bible app and searching saying, what did Jesus say about being born again? No, they went through scrolls and they had to go and they had to get the letter. They went through so much more. But Saul goes and he starts preaching. We're going to skip through because I promise y'all we're going to keep it on time. But Saul goes through this whole next chapter here in chapter nine. And immediately he goes and he starts preaching Christ in the synagogue. And he starts preaching this new revelation that he has about Jesus and who Jesus is. And that he starts realizing that the same people he used to be buddy-buddy with and the same people that he used to be really close with that knew his name now are turning against him. And actually, and over in verse 23, it says, now after many days have passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plots become known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples, 
took him by night, let him down through a wall in a large basket. And these believers realized that now he's part of us. He's got the real, he's got the revelation. He's got a journey to go on. So then he gets to Jerusalem. Tries to, and I love what it says right here in verse number 26 of verse or chapter 9. Then when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. You got to think, this group is probably like, whoa, whoa. Lock the doors. Lock the doors. Do you know who's outside? Saul, the one who's killing everybody, is outside saying, hey, let me in. I now know Jesus. They're probably all like, ain't no way. Ain't no way. I know what you did. I know where you came from. Ain't no way. So then he has to go and get a buddy. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And then verse number 28 says, so he was with them in Jerusalem coming in and going out and he spoke boldly in the name of Jesus, disputed against the Hellenites, but they attempted to kill him. So his life is already off to a great start following Jesus. I mean, this guy is already feeling what he had already created. But we're going to skip ahead. We're going to go all the way to Acts chapter 26. Actually, let's go to Acts 13 first. Acts 13, then we'll go to 26. So here's what Saul is now facing. He now has a whole group of the select, the Pharisees of Pharisees, that now are after him because he's preaching in the name of Jesus. And he's now preaching, going through all the synagogues, debating about the things of Jesus. But here's what I love is if you go back through and you actually read these things, they're, they're debating with what the religious already knew, proving who Jesus really was. And Saul was a perfect candidate for this because he knew it. He lived it. But when he got a hold of Jesus, everything changed. And we see that religion's whole goal is to distract us from the kingdom of God. We've said it multiple times that, you know, religion is what man finds whenever they're waiting on the kingdom. Religion is more heaven focused to get us out of here. And the kingdom is more focused on ruling and reigning down here on this earth. Pastor Mark just did a phenomenal series talking about traditions versus the kingdom. And then also religion versus the kingdom. But we have to understand that there's mindsets that people have that when we start preaching the kingdom of God, we automatically think it's going to bring this excitement. It's going to bring joy. It's going to bring so much happiness. But to them, it might not. It might bring the opposite. It might bring anger. It might bring a divide because they're not ready for that revelation. Paul was so excited about what he had just gained that he started going into the synagogues telling everybody about who Jesus was. 
And we saw what they were ready to do. They were ready to kill him every single time. So then we go to Acts chapter 13. And so many people are always like, Lord, send me. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to start ministry. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to go do something great for your name. But they miss out on this simple fact. In chapter 13, it says they, now in the church, was all these people. Verse number two says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. They weren't searching for it. They weren't going around trying to find their own positions. They weren't trying to make it their own. They were waiting on the Lord. They were spending time with him. They were in his presence. They were soaking up what he had for them in the spirit before they ever went and did anything in the natural. And so the Holy Spirit then says to them, separate them. And it says, now, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. Verse number four starts off and it says, being sent out by who? Holy Spirit. Because there was a work that God had for Saul the entire time. He just was distracted with religion. He was distracted by his own check the box. Well, if I'm a good person, check, I'm good. If I went to church on Sunday, I'm doing better than most people I know. Oh, I went to a church on Wednesday, double check, I'm doing great. Religion distracts you. The kingdom enacts you. It sends you out. It says, let's go. It's time to send you out, go forth. That Saul now being sent out, we go down to verse number nine of 13. It says, then Saul, who was also called Paul. We see that this is the first time we see that he's got a name change. We'll get into that another time. Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the what? You guys see a common theme? Anybody? Thank you. Thank you very much. Like I said, this is a conversation. It's in your Bible. It's in my Bible. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Sent out. Ready to go do the work. Then we go to chapter 26. You guys following along? Sorry, Aaron. I know I'm bouncing everywhere. You good? Okay. All right. Chapter 26. So Saul has now become Paul. Paul has now gone in. He has ministered the gospel. Everyone hates his guts. They want to try to constantly lock him up. They lock him away. They put him into chains. They beat him. They just absolutely abuse him. And then the religious come in and they say, hey, send him out before anybody else knows. Paul goes, whoa, 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 whoa. They do what? No, absolutely not. He goes, they come in, falsely accuse us, arrest us on zero charge, beat us, and we're Romans. Everybody's like, oh, what? You, know, you thought they were Jews and they, they're Romans. You don't realize you didn't do that back in that day. That was big trouble for those guards. Because Romans actually had to go through a judicial system. 
you had to go and actually get judged and charged before they gave you your consequence. So Paul says, I ain't going nowhere. Matter of fact, he, as he goes on, he says, I want to plead to Caesar. So in verse, or verse number one of chapter 26, we actually see King Agrippa is having this conversation with Paul. And King Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered to him and he said, I think myself happy. I don't know about some of you guys, but some days you need to go ahead and think yourself happy because you're really sad most days, but you need to think yourself happy because in this situation, Paul probably shouldn't be happy, but he is because he's got an opportunity. Remember back whenever he was called by God and God said, he's a chosen vessel and I'll bring him before kings and all these other leaders. So many times we know in the Bible that he'll bring you before great men. What if you're in chains and shackles and everyone hates your guts? Are you still willing to speak the name of Jesus and proclaim the kingdom to all those around you? Because Paul knew this is a moment. This is an opportunity. I'll show you he knew that. So he goes on and he says here, he says, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today shall I answer for myself before the, uh, the concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all the customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from a young man, which was spent from the beginning among my own nations in Jerusalem, all the Jews knew it. They knew me from the first. And then he goes on. And he starts setting this case of how everything they knew as the religious sector, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, every part of their law, and how Jesus was the answer, and how he goes in and talks about he's the Messiah. He goes through and he recounts his whole conversion and tells him the story again about how he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And he gets all the way down to verse number 24. And he says, now, as he thus made this defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But here's what King Agrippa said. Actually, Paul says this. I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escape his attention. Since this thing was not done in the corner, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. So Paul knew in this very moment, I could have a really sad, poor, pitiful me. I've done nothing wrong. But he says, no, 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 I'm excited. I think myself happy because I am about to persuade King Agrippa. But then we get into, let's see, verse number 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to, go, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. 
Paul recognized, I have a moment. I have an opportunity. I can proclaim the kingdom of God to everyone in this room. But my question is, is how many times do we miss that opportunity because we're too conscious of what are they going to say? What are they going to do? How are they going to think about me? Paul didn't care. Paul was like, I have an opportunity. I'm taking it. And he did. And he almost got it. But you also have to realize Paul knew it's not just for King Agrippa, but it's all those in this room. Because one time, Paul heard the same thing before from a man named Stephen. Stephen proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom to all those. He debated with them, go through scripture after scripture. I guarantee you, inside of Saul, there was probably a seed planted. We didn't see that seed for a long time. We saw death and destruction. But the moment God spoke to him on the road and Jesus spoke to him, he answered the correct way and said, who are you, Lord? What must I do? And so I want to wrap it up. We're right at eight o'clock. Look at that. Boom. First Timothy chapter one. You guys getting anything? Y'all are real quiet compared to your kids. I'm just saying. All of your students were about this quiet. I would think everyone fell asleep. So, all right. First Timothy, chapter one. You guys ready? Got a new Bible. There we go. All right. Chapter one, starting in verse number 12. It says here, it says, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me to become, or enabled me because he continued, counted me faithful, pointing, putting me, oh my goodness, hold on. We're going to move this out the way. Move that one. Let's go to the Bible. There we go. Try this one more time. Verse number 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace, everybody say the grace. The grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a patent to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who also is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He recognized his lifestyle, but he also recognized two things. It was by his mercy and his grace. Too many times we like to get those two confused. Mercy 
is us not receiving the cost that it was going to cost us. Grace, so many times people want to use grace as, oh, well, I can mess up, and by God's grace, I'll be covered. No, grace is actually an empowerment. Grace is there to actually enable you to live above sin, that I no longer am subject to sin, but now I can live above sin. And that changes a lot of people's thinkings. And I was actually just having a conversation with an individual the other day, and he got deep, real deep for an 18-year-old kid having this conversation with a coworker. And we were talking things out. And we started asking the question. And he was talking about sin. And I finally just came to the conclusion. I said, what is the wage of sin? Let's just get it out there. Quit trying to categorize sin. Sin is sin is God's eyes. We are the ones that categorize and say, well, I didn't murder anybody, so I'm doing a lot better than that guy. No, there's a lot of things that you might have done in secret that no one knows about that still had the same wage as he did. They just never found out about it. And I said, and he goes, well, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. I said, period, that's it. There's no, the wages of sin is a slap on your hand. Nope, wages of sin is death. Jesus came so that way we could now have life, life more abundantly to empower us to live above sin. Paul recognized my old life, and if we went to it, we ran out of time. But if we went to Philippians, he talks about this and gives his whole rap sheet in Philippians chapter three, all about, I was the Pharisee of a Pharisee. I was part of the actual bloodline of the Jews. I was one of the pure breeds. I was one, he was laying out every detail. And when he gets down after everything he says there, he says, I count it all as loss because I've gained Christ. Everything I once knew, all my education, all of my history, everything I had, I cast it all to the side because I realized it is not about me. It is now about Jesus. Love the song we just sang tonight because it says, no longer I who live, but it's Christ in me. Paul's also the same one that wrote and said, follow me as I follow Christ. If you need somebody to follow, follow me. I'll be an example for you. We are living in a day and age right now where we have a young generation. And I prayed and I asked the Lord, I said, can I please talk about this generation and fill everybody in on where they're at spiritually and what's going on? He said, no. Because they have an opportunity right now to be on fire that will surpass every one of us in here. If we wanna stay in our religious cult that so many people have built on man and not God, they will outrun you and everyone else because they're tired of the fake. They're tired of the rituals. They're tired of just living a life that just says, well, I've done my good deed, but I will live however I want in this world. And I'll tell you, they're hungry for truth. They know the truth and it's being revealed to them. And it's so sad that I see so many different cultures and churches and everyone else that are still downgrading this generation because we went through the millennial stage. That all the millennials just got the bad rap of all oh, they're lazy, they don't do anything. That's not this generation. This generation's hungry. This generation is searching for the truth. They're searching for someone to invest in them. They're looking for that. And I'll tell you this, the amount of time that someone's willing to invest into them is what will develop their spirituality. I'll tell you right now, the world is pumping in hard what they want them to believe. 
And we've talked multiple times with Pastor Mark and Ashley, and we will not set back. We will not set back and allow this world to just go off the deep end and us do nothing. Because it's time to go into the deep. It's time to get out of our comfort zones. And you know what? If it comes down to it, I remember in 2020, when all those different regulations were coming out, we had serious conversations. And I looked at my wife one night and I said, I just want you to know, if Pastor Mark goes away to jail, I'm going with him. I mean, serious conversation. And we said it would be worth it. I said, shoot, we'll start a jail ministry. It'll be fine. It'll be great. We'll minister to every one of them guys, flip that whole thing upside down. Because it came down to that point where they're threatening to shut things down, take away licenses, do all sorts of things if you don't obey our commands. And you know what? We did obey quite a few. And we went and talked to our mayor and we talked to our city council and Pastor Mark was put before great people. And he asked the questions. He said, fine, if you don't want us to have an Easter service, can we do a drive-through? Can we do a drive-in? Have everybody park it out in their cars? We'll keep it down to this many people. And I said, well, I guess we can't stop you there. He goes, great, awesome. They said, all right, you can start meeting in person, but you got to go half capacity. Pastor Mark, I watched him study those things. Got lawyers involved, everything else. And he goes, oh, we got plenty of square footage. We are good to go. I mean, it comes down to it of who are you going to obey? We will respect the authority. Absolutely. We're going to respect all those in authority. We're going to pray for all those in authority. And if you're not praying for those authority and you're speaking more negative things about people in authority, you need to check your religious heart. Because we weren't called here to speak negative against them. We were called to pray for them. And so for us, we're coming into a season where we're going to start going out. You might see those people that did you wrong. You might see them and be like the religious people or be like the disciples that go, lock the door. Don't let them in. I know their history. They're not good. You don't know what God's placed in somebody's heart. You don't know. that. I mean, I could go through and we could do a whole testimony time of just talking about where God's brought us from. But you already know. And you know what? I'll encourage you. Somebody else needs to know that. Somebody else needs to know that. One of the biggest struggles I see with our teenagers today is they feel like they're all alone. Can't go to nobody, can't talk. Or they're talking to too many people. They're getting confused because they're listening to all the wrong voices. We got an opportunity that we can turn this whole thing back around. I mean, just imagine if more people would operate in a kingdom lifestyle with their neighbors, I mean, we wouldn't be having these debates we're having in today's society if we would just act like kingdom citizens. I love what Pastor Roddy says. He said, don't be calling me a white man. I'm not a white man. I'm a new man. That I am new in Christ. So there is no color. There's no race. There's no definition there. I'm just a new man. We would see a whole change in our city, in our culture, in our environments, in our workplaces, if we would just start applying the word and be sensitive to obey. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. 
There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.